Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Episode 7. Edibility. I have begun to experiment with giving up on sleep. It's clear enough to me when I listen back through these recordings that certain experiences of mine are simply not being retained. I have no memory of nighttime visits to art galleries, 
of curious sicknesses of a grinning white face in my bathroom mirror. Something is being lost, or something is being altered behind the scenes, and most likely it's happening as I sleep. So, an end to that. It isn't so hard to keep yourself perpetually stimulated. The trick is to think of yourself as two separate selves, upon separate cycles. A daytime self, who will instinctively stumble out of bed at the noise of the alarm to begin again, and a nighttime self, who roams the darkened apartment and requires the constant light and noise of the television, the phone screen. I feed the nighttime self with endless distraction, and the daytime self, out of impulse, instinct, or a vague sense of duty, takes care of itself. The truly curious thing is that no matter how sick with tiredness I feel, no matter if I stumble or lurch into others on the tram, or I mutter incoherently in a public space, nobody in the city seems to notice that there's anything different about me. It's empowering, in a way. I feel as if I could starve myself into oblivion, transfigure my body into a grotesque parody of a man with twisted, bone-slender limbs, or even a gross and corpulent thing with bruised purple skin and champing fat jaws. And nobody would think to look, so long as I stood in line and went through the same movements as everyone else. Perhaps one day I'll do it, just to see how much I can get away with. My name is David Ward. I am in a skew. I have somehow acquired friends in Askew. It's not entirely certain where they came from. It feels as if they've been handed over to me as a gift, almost an apology. So sympathetic are they to my opinions, so unthreatening to my intelligence. They're content to let me sit in silence at the edge of their circle, while they discuss ordinary matters and boast of their personal achievements, pausing only occasionally to ask me for my input. When I offer up my thoughts about the awful inscrutability of the external landscape, our inability to know for certain if anything we're experiencing is true or illusory or random or coordinated by unseen and vindictive forces, they tend to chuckle indulgently and say things like, That's our David. I don't think they fully understand what I'm getting at, but it is undeniably reassuring, a real confirmation of my belonging to a genuine social tribe to hear myself referred to as someone's David. Hopefully this will begin to explain exactly why I end up in the fish market that night. The Askew Fish Market swallows up several streets passing through it and around it. It's a many-sided complex of architecturally distinct warehouses, their tin doors perpetually closed, their walls pocked with sporadic outbreaks of frosted hexagonal windows, appearing at intervals unexpectedly as you walk around and around, like a rash, like barnacles. And in the alleyways around this forbidding, hard-angled and porous structure, 
kitsch parasites have made their nests. Chic bars serving off-colour lobster, restaurants beneath the neon sign of a winking river trout. We're sitting on the terrace outside one of these, my friends and I. I don't recall exactly how we got there, whether I walked alone or was accompanied, but my friends are busy discussing some matter of local politics, slipping back into the Escovian language at intervals when they wish to express a particularly complex thought. There's a cold beer in my hand. There's a wicker basket of prawn tempura on the table between us. Gingerly, I take one, lifting it by the flaky pink fin tail that extrudes from the batter, and I bite. The white gunge underneath the batter is shapeless and indeterminate and delicious. I take another and another and sit in a comfortable, greedy silence on the outskirts of the group, ignoring everything except for the vague, pleasant sense that I am part of a group and fitting in. It doesn't last. Because a moment later I glance up and see the man who's running through the shadows underneath the steel canopy of the fish market. He keeps tripping over his own feet, stumbling on the pavement and into the road, begging passers-by to help him, please, to help him. We watch him curiously from a distance, and with increased alarm as he gets closer and closer, the greasy stains on his greatcoat shimmering revoltingly in the dusk light. There's something wrong with him, one of my friends says. A second friend agrees wholeheartedly. There's definitely something wrong with him. A third friend has placed a protective napkin over the prawn tempura. The man's face is strange. He isn't actively disfigured, as far as I can tell, but none of his features seem to possess a force of will. He isn't looking anywhere in particular, and yet he keeps staggering in our direction, making tottering detours and course corrections to the right and left. I begin privately to feel a little frightened that I, somehow, am the one drawing this man towards us. Perhaps I stared at him a little too long, or too sympathetically, Perhaps I give off the kind of air that attracts this kind of unwanted visitor. And when he comes to join us, slapping his palms dramatically down against the table, I find it so very hard to look away as my friends look away. So very hard not to hear him as he raves and howls and repeats the same ugly and unwelcome phrases over and over staring right into my face even as his eyes wander everywhere else before a waiter comes out and briskly shoes him back into the street. They're asking for you, he says. They want you to see them. It's not meat in there. Not meat. Not even close. I sit in my corner in silence. My friends order their main courses, cod, river trout, sea bass. It's all indeterminable to me, white slushy fillets of gunge, possessing neither texture nor form, 
served with chunky chips and oily courgette platters in the place of vegetables. All of it liquefies as they chew and guzzle and talk with their jaws wide open, the mulch of the fish meat sticking to their teeth, barely pausing for breath before they duck their heads to their plates for another bite and another. It sickens me to look at, and I coil moodily back into the warmth of my coat and sip at my beer. I keep thinking about what the man said. Eskew wants to be witnessed. I know that now. And so it serves me up these wanderers, these shabby figures and sirens, to lure me down dark alleyways and strange paths, isolating me from other eyes, all so it can open up something awful before me, something I can't turn away from. And yet... And yet, his words keep coming back to me. They're asking for you. They want to see you. It's not meat. It's a direct message, to me personally. Not some acting out of the same tired tropes, a, an actual, explicit message. Can I really miss out on this? Could this be the moment the nightmare is explained? Am I about to wake up? My friends are talking amongst themselves, eating, laughing, spraying bone-white flesh across the table. They don't see me and they don't hear me as I get up from my chair and stride purposefully out towards the looming domed roofs of the fish market. And then I'm standing alone, in the vaulted, impossibly empty heart of the market, surrounded by stacked plastic crates and abandoned stalls, and a pungent odour that's rich and writhing and not quite fresh. On all six sides of the market, aluminium doors have been slid shut and locked with chains and padlocks. I walk a path along the edge, turning each corner, rattling at every handle, hoping to find a way in. I'm halfway along the fourth wall when I hear a noise behind me. The nasty, jittering sound of a metal gate being drawn up. A woman looks out at me. She's wearing white overalls, her hair is long and lank, and she too has the greasy look and smell of someone who has spent far too long around fish. Here to pick up the empties, she asks. She doesn't seem surprised to see me. Naturally, I reply that yes, of course, I'm here to pick up the empties. I just wasn't sure which door to use, because they all look so similar in the dingy light of... Halfway through my spiel, she turns with a grunt of irritation or impatience, and vanishes into the doorway, leaving me to follow her inside. It's almost pitch black in the corridor, or perhaps I should say tunnel, as it dips so alarmingly as I follow its course, and when I put my hand out against the wall to steady myself, it comes away sticky, with something oily and fluid. I very nearly turn and head back up to the surface and the light, when I hear the mocking voice of my guide from somewhere up ahead. Come on then, it isn't far. The fish stink 
is everywhere, but with every step it becomes easier to bear. At the very lowest point of the tunnel, the floor feels slippery beneath my feet, even a little spongy like moss, and I think I can hear water somewhere off in the darkness. A chilly draught whips around my ankles. Eskew has sewers, of course, underground rivers and hidden docks. It's even been said that there are hidden pathways beneath the lowers, following their own peculiar and labyrinthine routes, where policemen fear to tread and the gangs of the old town worship their bloody, feuding gods. I steal myself and walk on. She's right. It isn't far, and soon enough I find my feet confidently hitting stone steps that lead upwards, rising back into golden light and the welcome murmur of voices. And I'm standing in a great hall of glass ceilings, ruddy and glorious in the dusk light, fresh white fish meat hung from the rafters and steaming with ice and frost. Men and women in white fishmongers' aprons stroll back and forth across the space, clutching crates, laughing and gossiping to each other, weaving between the gigantic glass tanks of slopping water that contain today's catch. I forget, you know. I forget that Askew is a city of wonders, too. My guide steps up into my vision, impatiently gesturing for me to follow her. Come on she says, and points to the great steel claw that's hanging from the centre of the hall from a thick, sopping chain. Come on, we'll do you a fresh one. I go to follow her, and that's when I see what's in the tanks. Pressed against the glass is a mouth, a great, round, puckered mouth, with neither teeth nor tongue nor lips dilating and retracting horribly with a muted popping sound. A mouth so large and awful that it swallowed up the white, fleshy face of the creature beneath it. Two black nostril slits and two wart-like black eyes are all that can be seen. The thing slaps a soft, pudgy hand against the glass. Horrified and fascinated, I lean in. And then the thing must sense me, and either it wants to consume me, or flee from me, because it begins to thrash, its horrible mouth rolling in and out, its fat white tail madly hammering up and down, rising from the surface of the water, slapping back down against the faces of the other black-mouthed worms that float in the tank beside it, staring placidly at me with awful, empty eyes. I stand up. I have, suddenly, the strangest feeling. How long have these been here? I ask. My guide chuckles. Started showing up in our nets a few months ago, she says. They're selling it as royal trout in the cafes. Just as well, because the damn worms keep eating all the real trout. I remember these creatures. I remember that they were people once. 
people trying to escape askew by any means necessary, by burrowing down into the dirt, twisting and transfiguring themselves in the hope of wriggling free. And now they're in the river. My guide slaps me on the shoulder. Come on, she repeats. We'll do you a fresh one. She nods to a couple of her co-workers, who stroll unhurriedly to the controls set against the far wall, tugging at the levers. Overhead, the great winch squeaks and turns, and the claw swings on its chain, its jaws opening and widening as it's lowered heavily and purposefully towards the nearest tank. I watch in silence. The claw drops, and the chain yanks hard as the jaws close on something that writhes and thrashes in the water, and the bored workmen pull the levers back. And there's a great white worm rising from the surface of the water, caught in the clamping jaws by its hideous face, its fat tail whipping uselessly in the air, its mouth dilating and retracting frantically in a nasty, helpless, popping sound. It doesn't sound anything like how a human might scream. The winch pivots and the chain clanks downwards until the worm is hung just a couple of feet from the floor of the hall. Two workers come out to grab hold of its tail, flailing and slipping as it thumps against them. My guide ushers me over to the nearby work table. There are knives here, and saws and drills, and worst of all, a great sledgehammer, its head spattered thickly with the translucent oil that might be blood. She picks up a large butcher knife and hefts it, like someone about to perform an interesting trick. Then she steps up to the worm, holds the knife five inches over the tail, and cuts deep. It takes her a few seconds, and she grimaces in satisfaction as she begins to cut around and through, and the white gungy flesh comes spilling out onto her apron and onto the floor, spreading in all directions, spilling so much more readily and easily than flesh ought to spill. And as it comes out, the worm writhes and twists and deflates, its mouth falling away, its eyes mere black stalks on either side of a skin that's empty and limp and dead, held loosely now in the grip of those implacable steel claws. The white flesh lies scattered and soft across the factory floor, pulsating to the same rhythms of the horrid white worms that float still, calm and serene, in their tanks all around us. My guide wipes herself down, laughing, and tucks the knife into her apron. She reaches up on her tiptoes to lift the empty worm skin from the claw, resting it in her arms like a blanket, and holds it out for me to examine and touch. It's useful for all kinds of trades, she tells me. They sold a whole batch to be used as sausage skins just last week. Incredible, isn't it? How every part, every isolated element, can be taken and changed and utilised for a greater purpose. She looks at me as she says it, and it's as if Askew is looking back at me through those dull grey eyes. I almost retch. 
I turn, waving my arms silently at her. No, no, no. And I stagger back to the work table. I can hear her and her fellow workers guffawing with laughter, half-feigned and wholly mocking, joking about the company boy who sells the parts but doesn't want to see what happens to the animal. My fingers reach down, and with some effort, my arm shaking as I do it, I lift the sledgehammer from the table. As I turn back to face them, swaying my path into the corridor between the tanks, I'm aware that there's a sudden, nervous silence. I suppose I can only explain what happens next like this. I don't think, not even for a second, that the city will let me do it. And so when I swing, two-handed, bringing the head of the sledgehammer to bear against the glass of the nearest tank, I'm expecting it to bounce off, or simply fail to connect. I am so used to being powerless that I'm really not expecting the glass to shatter like it does. And the fishmongers are running forward towards me, shouting threats or possibly warnings, as the broiling water of the tank bursts forth like a breaking dam, washing over my knees and making me stumble back, and the monstrous white worms surge out onto the hall of the fish market. Bodies collide, wetly, slipping over each other. One of the workers is screaming. A worm is crawling up behind him, balancing itself on its two pudgy hands as its tail thrashes, propelling itself forwards, its round mouth opening and closing over his foot, his ankle, his thigh. My guide steps over the pair of them. She's grasping her knife in one hand, and she's looking at me without a great deal of appreciation. She yells at me to stop. So I turn, and I break the glass of the next tank along. I run, a few steps further back, dancing as much as running, laughing with wicked delight at the tide of hideous bodies spilling free behind me, and I break the glass again. My guide is screaming, tripping and falling into the oily water, desperately trying to reach me as the worms swell over and around her like a riptide. I laugh, and I dance, and I swing the hammer at the final glass, dodging the flapping tails, vaulting the hungry mouths as they reach out to kiss me. And then I reach the end of the hall, the entrance to the tunnel, and the space behind me is churning with lolloping, struggling worms, and no human beings are anywhere to be seen. No, that isn't quite true. All hope is not lost for the fishmongers. I can just make out my guide's arm, under the writhing mass of bodies, a single limb without anything attached to it, stabbing fiercely but blindly with her knife in every direction, then stabbing more feebly, failing to connect with white flesh, and then eventually stopping entirely. I drop the hammer, turn, and dance back into darkness. It's harder on the way back. My feet keep slipping on the steps downwards, and more than once I have to catch myself against the oily walls in the blackness. 
I feel my way back down to the bottom of the tunnel, moving towards the gentle lapping sound of water when I hear it. The sound of wet, fleshy tails wriggling against the walls and floor and ceiling of the tunnel behind me. The sound of round mouths packed into a tight space, widening and narrowing, snapping and popping with horrid satisfaction, searching for me in the darkness. I am no longer alone in the tunnel. I walk faster, not running, walking rapidly with both arms outstretched, no longer able to feel the walls, desperate to keep a steady footing, because I only have to reach the steps on the other side and I'll be safe. They'll just go back to the river and I'll be safe. My foot steps out into thin air instead of stone. And I fall. Down into the unseen river, hitting the side of the stone dock on the way down against my leg, against my back, the dank and freezing water rising up into my face as I hit the surface. Rising up into the air once again, splashing violently. And I can hear it, louder and louder and louder. That horrible slithering, those bodies, those mouths. I fumble at the wall, trying to find a chain, a rope, anything I can use to pull myself back up into the tunnel, my fingernails raking against unyielding stone, and then I can hear the worms all around me and above me, slapping their tails as they fall hungrily and happily from the side of the stone dock, hitting the water all around me, their greasy wet bodies rolling out over my face and chest even as I splutter and scream and fight for space to breathe. And then the water is churning, and I am still alive. Then the water is rippling as the worms furrow down and away beneath the surface. Then the water at last is still, and the darkness is quiet except for my sobbing. Once I return to the cafe table, it becomes very obvious that my friends have failed to notice my absence. Nor do they comment on my ruined clothes, sodden with river water and worm blood. One of them seems to think I've been there all along, because he asks me if the ceviche was as good as it looked. I sit there with them for a minute or two, dripping and stewing in a silence that now seems inescapably lonely. And then I get to my feet, taking only my unused fish knife from the table, and I leave them to order their coffees. I sit alone, in the restaurant's sole unoccupied toilet stall, and clutch my head weakly in my hands. One thing, at least, is certain. I have won a victory tonight. I've taken my fate into my own hands. I've acted against the city and its peculiar occurrences, rather than suffering them in silence. It's simply a question of whether I remember that this time tomorrow. Whether Askew takes this away from me, as it takes everything else. I keep thinking of a butcher knife 
sliding into a thrashing tail of white meat spilling out, leaving only a limp shell behind. And so I lift the fish knife, positioning the blade against the back of my left hand, over the palm, and I begin to cut. R. E. M. I'm barely past the M when the pain is almost too much to take, and my fingers are shaking too much to hold the knife steady, and I have, besides anything else, run out of hand, but it will have to do. This is something tangible. This will help me remember what I've done, and what Askew has done to me. When I speak to you next, I'll be a changed man. Be with you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.